Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, April the 21st, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Welcome, everybody. Happy Passover. Happy Easter. Uh, hope you're having a great weekend. Coming to you tonight, no guest, uh, with the holiday and a bunch of stuff going on. A little tougher to get any of the features or beat writers or what have you on. So you just got me tonight, and hopefully that's good enough, and uh, we'll sh- we should have a lot of fun. A disappointing weekend for the Mets in St. Louis. Dicey day today, Robinson Cano. Uh, it looks like he's not out of the woods yet, but X-ray is negative, uh, getting hit by a pitch and what really was a ridiculous call. Uh, the pitching continues to struggle. And, and that, of course, has been a theme throughout the whole season through 21 games. And the Mets see themselves a game out of first, 11-10. and 10. Uh, They now come home for a bit of a homestand after 15 of their first 20, what was it, 16 of their first 21 games? Uh, yeah, 16 of their first 21 games on the road. So uh, that, you really didn't even look at that before the season start. You don't realize it sometimes how much time they spent on the road, which they've actually not been too bad. They had a 4-6 and six trip, but they were 5-1 and one through the the first stretch. So it's nine wins on the road out of their first 16. I'll take that all the time. And, and now it's about 
chance to go home. They're playing the Phillies. They're playing the Brewers, Cincinnati, before they go on another road trip in early May. And, and it really would be high time for the Mets to start playing well at home. A uh, couple of different things to get to. We'll start off with the state of the team. And I know the paranoia that's going to set in here is the pitching. And, and the pitching has been bad. The Mets right now, as a staff, are just about as bad as the Baltimore Orioles, a team that some may think could lose an historic number of games this year. They're as bad as the Boston Red Sox, who have gotten off to a bad start. The Mets are allowing, on average, this is not ERA, but on average, over six runs a game. That has pretty much negated the fact that they're one of the better offensive teams, not only in the National League, but all in baseball, with over five runs a game. So, with that said... That's a lot of bad in terms of pitching, but the good news is I think the offense is sustainable, and that's not me just being optimistic because we've seen enough, and even if Cano, let's say, is out for a little bit, you shift McNeil to third, I think they have a diversified offense. They've got power. They've got guys that could hit for average. They have guys that uh, could work the count. Uh, They seem to be able to get into bullpens and cause a lot of problems. Uh, for the most part, you're getting four or five runs every night. To me, that's more than enough with this staff to get the job done. If there was one thing that I could count on when you look at process, when you look at what kind of players that I have out there, is that they're going to get better when it comes to the pitching. I have a hard time believing that Noah Syndergaard's going to pitch to a 6 ERA the entire season. I have a hard time believing that Steven Matz, who got absolutely torched in his last outing, is going to be wildly inconsistent start in and start out. I think Zach Wheeler showed that he's starting to turn the corner a little bit with his start in Philadelphia. And we'll get to the DeGrom hysteria because Mickey Callaway really botched that one. I think he caused a lot of issues with that one, but you still have an ace in DeGrom. The bullpen is where I have some issues and I have some concerns. And Robert Gazellman had probably the best weekend out of everybody this weekend, uh, not only on Friday getting out of the jam, but today. But the bullpen right now is the opportunity, and I think everyone's been talking about the Mets going out and getting another starter, and certainly that's a case. They, they need that. I, I'm not sure right now because all the kids, the kids that you thought may come in and surprise you and give you some depth. A couple of years ago when they made the playoffs, you didn't expect Seth Lugo and Robert Gazelman to come in and make an impact. That's why they were able to make the playoffs despite the fact they lost Matt's and they lost to Grom that year. Uh, that that could have been just as debilitating to this team. But no, those guys came in, they stepped up, and they were able to help give the Mets the quality when they lost two of their key rotation pieces. Right now, a Chris Flexen, a Drew Gallo, a Corey Oswalt, not sure any of these guys are capable of doing that. And you saw that on Saturday. And right now, in addition to the stinkers they've gotten from Wheeler, DeGrom, and Mats, just non-competitive games, in their starts, they've gotten another non-competitive game from Vargas uh, early in the month. And they've gotten a non-competitive game now from uh, Flexen. I mean, you're talking about out of the first 21 games, you've had about five non-competitive starts. That's not that's not something that will continue. N- mainly because the out of the guys I mentioned, the only one that you really think shouldn't be non-competitive is Flexen. Because he's shown throughout his big league career that he can't compete, despite having some potential down in the minor league. So I don't see the rotation at this point being the uh, uh, the concern. Uh, I do think with Gio Gonzalez opting out, uh, if you really look at it, 
between he and, and Dallas Keuchel. I'm still not sure those guys are all that much different. I know their upside from, you know, when I say from Vargas, I know their upside is better. But if you start to look over the body of work, you, you basically have guys who are league average, slightly above league average. But I think the thing that those guys provide, and, and whether they can do that at this point in their careers or not, is they can provide the next level, top of the rotation to mid of the rotation performance and consistency that I just don't know at age 36 that Jason Vargas has anymore. Maybe his style of pitching is, is just, you know, a dinosaur. Uh, you know, maybe there's something wrong. You know, it could be a variety of reasons. But uh, right now, uh, if I'm the Mets, and, and I don't know what, what Gonzalez is going to do, what the Yankees are going to do, would the Yankees even block him because they don't want him going to the Mets? Uh, I guess we'll find out tomorrow. They had a 48-hour window, so we'll see about that. The bullpen weird, the concern for me is, unlike the rotation where I think they'll look, they'll either find, they'll either get, they'll figure out the fifth spot by bringing somebody in, and I still don't think, even though Vargas has been not so great, I think that they'll get that straightened out. I don't think the rotation is going to be a problem. I know it is now. The bullpen, though, fixing it, there's a few concerns here. Mainly, I think the key is Jury's Familia. And the thing about Familia, other than maybe one or two outings, and he was better on Friday night, he just hasn't been able to command any of his pitches other than the fastball. Now, I don't know if he's injured. You know, command could be leading to some you know injuries. The other night in Philadelphia, it was extremely cold. It probably wasn't an environment where any of the pitchers could do well, though Edwin Diaz did. Uh, the, Familia holds the key because if you're not going to use Diaz in a high leverage situation at any point in the ball game, you're just going to use him as the closer and only for three outs. You really need Familia, and you're going to need eventually a backup for Diaz as a closer because there may be a time where he pitches three or four days in a row and he becomes unavailable and you have another tight game and, and you have to have a backup, and who's that going to be? That's supposed to be Familia. Gazelman showed a lot, uh, even though I've seen him be hittable at times. I think Lugo, who has struggled this year, is going to be fine. Justin Wilson, my problem with him is that he just walks so many damn guys. Uh, so I don't know how much I trust him. Familiar to me is the key because this changes the whole dynamic in that bullpen. And right now he's just not trustworthy. I question, and this is where I talk about Callaway. I question how Callaway uses guys that when they come in, get their outs, and then sit down and get back up. I'm not sure Familiar is that guy. I'm not sure Wilson is that guy. I know Lugo and Gazelman are those guys. So I, I think he needs to start looking at these guys for who they are. Yes, Familia's done that. He's been a guy that's been able to go multiple innings. That yeah, was four or five years ago when he was an elite closer. He did it a little bit over the last few years, mainly in games where it was tied, and then maybe they tried to stretch him for another inning. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I never remember Familia being the guy that you wanted to go multiple innings. The only time he really... Uh, was in that zone was during the 2015 playoffs. So right now, to me, that if you really wanted to say what's a bigger need, I want to say the bullpen because I think the rotation as is could still straighten itself out. And I know you're probably saying, oh, but Vargas has been bad. But there's still, you saw late last year, I think there's a guy that could give you five innings, six innings, three runs. It's a guy that you don't want to go more than a couple of times through the order. And he's been pitching behind hitters as well, just like every guy in that rotation. 
And I don't know if it's uh, maybe a little bit of a strike zone situation where they're getting squeezed a little bit. I know there's been some changes made to the strike zone over the offseason. Not sure if it's the intent of Dave Island for these guys to pitch inside. I don't even know if it's because maybe there was a preparation or a way they went to prepare this spring that has caused them to be maybe a little off these first three weeks of the season. But you really, if you want to talk about what they need, they need a bullpen arm. And I know Craig Kimbrell's out there, and I know I've been against giving him a long-term deal, and I still am because I is another guy that was not so great down the stretch and walks guys. But if you could get that guy down to a reasonable contract, if you told me you could only pick one, the starter or the bullpen, I might lean more towards the bullpen because I think that's where this could be the undoing. I still feel like the rotation. Now, you're going to say, Mike, they showed this weekend they don't have the depth, and that's true. Because you Flexen and Gallo and, and Oswald have not stepped up. But you can acquire. I mean, if it's a matter of going big with Keuchel or going smaller with Geo and saving that money for Kimbrel or finding a way to go after another team's uh, bullpen arm, I heard the Giants might be looking to move some of their uh, veteran arms. There's a Sam Dyson over there, Mark Melanson. You're going to be able to find a bullpen arm at some point. But I think you may need that sooner rather than later, whereas the starter, you may be able to play a little bit with this thing here. Uh, and I think the fifth spot is standing out mainly because the other four guys have not been very good or haven't been themselves. If you're getting the kind of performance out of the top four guys that you normally get, I don't think you're going to really be crazy about the Vargas uh, starts. And normally, if DeGrom wasn't sick, you would have gotten DeGrom on Saturday uh, and you would not have even seen Flexen, and maybe it's a completely different series, and we're having a different conversation right now. So the concern right now is pitching bad, really uh, taking away a lot of the good feel from the offense, an offense that we, we haven't seen in a while. We didn't even really see an offense like this uh, during the, uh, the run to the playoffs in 2015. The defense, though, has been dreadful. I think that's another thing that we've – uh, maybe overlooked, and, and, and that part's not going to get better. And I'm not sure if that bad defense is contributing to some of what's the pitcher's problems. I don't think so. I mean, the outfield I think is fine. Actually, Pete Alonso has been adequate. Maybe made a couple of cutoff man issues and bad throws on pickoffs, but other than that, he's been pretty good. Rosario's been bad. J.D. Davis has had some troubles over third base. I think Jeff McNeil has has been really good overall for for what you would expect, but you could also see he's not necessarily an outfielder, uh, more than adequate, but he's not going to win you any gold gloves out there. And Wilson Ramos has been really mediocre behind the plate. And I also wonder if that, because he hasn't really shown a penchant to be able to block some balls, I'm wondering if that's playing into the staff struggling, because if you're a lacking confidence in your catcher being able to block some balls in the dirt with runners on base, you may decide to go a little bit different with your pitch selection. So it'll be interesting to see how that all works out. But that's the state of the union where the Mets are now. Not time to panic. Uh, Some really ominous signs with the staff. They should be a, a couple of games worse if you really go by their run differential. It will be interesting to see. Will they go after Gio this week? I think that if he's available, I've been saying that since the offseason, They should find a way to bring him in here. It cannot hurt. If you have to have a choice, I still think they got to really fix this bullpen sooner rather than later because I think there's something up with Familia. He just doesn't look comfortable on the mound. 
I don't know if it's an injury. I don't know if he's just off. I, I, I can't pinpoint it. I know he was, um, he was good in Oakland. Uh, so it's not like he stunk up the joint after he was traded last year. But he's not, even before they traded him, he's necessarily not the, the same pitcher that he was uh, anywhere near the World Series season. And, and like I said in the offseason, he struggles against lefties. So, you know, that's kind of where we're at with this team, where they're at. Uh, my main concern is the bullpen. Uh, I think the starting rotation will figure itself out. I think the defense is what it is. It's been a little bit worse than what you normally would want, but it's never going to get a uh, high level. And I think the offense, I think, is for real. And I think you're going to see a team that could score five runs a game uh, consistently, and that is huge. And if you could get anywhere near the pitching that you thought you were going to get, the Mets are going to win some games and they're going to be in contention. Let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to talk about Mickey Calloway and how he handled the Jacob deGrom news or how he started the fire that I think was a little bit unnecessary. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. DeGrom is going to um, be pushed back tomorrow. He's not going to pitch. He's been under the weather. His elbow's a little barky. We're going to get him back to New York, um, have him checked out, get an MRI, and go from there at this point. When did the elbow start barking? Yeah, well, um, today. Um, you know, he played catch yesterday. He came in on the off day, played a little catch, and started uh, feeling it a little bit. You know, we're not sure exactly what it is, so we want to get it to go checked out. All right, we're back. You heard Mickey Calloway on Friday describe the Jacob deGrom situation, and this became a whole firestorm throughout the weekend. It was, it was kind of aggravating because it spurred a headline that was ominous and almost took the air out of the entire season. For the Mets, when you see DeGrom's elbow barking, going for MRI back to New York. And then very quickly, throughout the course of the hour or so leading into Friday night's game, the statement changed. And this has been an issue with the Mets for a long time. And I'm not sure this was incompetence or more that maybe it was a lesson for Brody Van Wagenen about how to handle the media. And one of the things I've said about Mickey Calloway, I'm not saying he's a great manager. Uh, I don't think he does anything hugely egregious in the dugout from that from any standpoint. Uh, nothing that we didn't see from Terry Collins over his tenure, who was probably one of the worst managers in Mets history from an X's and O's standpoint. The players seem to like him. They play for him. You don't hear too much uh, negative out of that clubhouse. And uh, the biggest thing has been managing the media, and I'm not sure he's done a good job of that. I'm not quite sure if he understands what it takes in this town, but the way he made that DeGrom news sound was completely different than what it was. And as the hour went on, you had a Brody Van Wagenen statement, which downplayed essentially the the news of DeGrom going for an MRI. Dave Island came out and said it was not serious, that if it was a big game, he'd be pitching, that this was over, overly cautious. Andy Martino of SNY even had some reports from insiders which may be some of the same people that came out publicly that said there was a low level of concern. And then by Saturday and Sunday, the guy's playing long catch, uh, which, by the way, was the genesis of conversations with John Smoltz a couple of years ago. Not anybody who was a pitching coach for the Mets, but John Smoltz. And it seems like ever since he's taken on the Smoltz credo in the program, he's been a completely different pitcher. But uh, he's doing the long toss, he's doing his thing, and now there's all this hand-wringing about, well, you know, he needs to go for an MRI and... and it, 
let's let the Mets handle this. And I know what you're going to say. The Mets' history has been that they've botched injuries. But it's a new regime. And at the end of the day, the player is responsible for themselves. Syndergaard screwed things up a couple of years ago because he decided to come out like He-Man and try to throw 110 miles an hour. And in this day and age, what hot radar guns, if, if there was not a hot radar gun in St. Louis, by the way, with those Jordan Hicks uh, 105 mile an hour fastballs, that gun was hot. But with these hot radar guns, he came out and it was what, Tom House that even said it, that he was an injury waiting to happen with the way he prepared for the 2017 season. He tore his lat and away you go, he was injured. Uh, that might have been predictable. So I'm not sure if that's all the Mets because the player has the responsibility. But what Mickey Calloway did was create an unnecessary distraction, made the organization look bad, made them look disjointed. And at this time where they have a new regime, they have a new GM, it really is not something you want because it's just, just going to make life harder for him. I don't know if the Wilt Ponds is still going to knee-jerk and manage through the headlines and through the media. But anytime you're the owner of a team here in this city, you have to think the public perception, which starts with the headlines on the Post and the Daily News and now the Internet and to a lesser extent because talk radio has really unwound themselves from any sense and, sensible, sense and sensibility of when it comes to conversation about sports. Uh, you hope that the owners don't really buy into a lot of the chatter around because that's what it is, chatter. It's entertainment just like the show. But sometimes you have to wonder about how that plays into things. And when the team looks clueless, when a manager kind of sets a bad tone, you wonder when the players start to look and say, does this guy really know what he's doing? Maybe I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, but I really think Mickey Calloway started this firestorm because of the way he communicated the DeGrom news. And I don't know if maybe he didn't realize all the particulars. I find that hard to believe when his pitching coach just an hour later Seemed to know a lot. I know one of the things that Callaway had talked about was um, was you know maybe trying to manage his time better between the media and the clubhouse and everything. And maybe that's where when you get into those media scrums, maybe you haven't had as thorough of a dialogue when it comes to uh, what's going on with your coaches. Then you shouldn't talk about it. And, and maybe that's even worse because if he doesn't talk about it, then the media finds out about it half an hour later and they're like, well, what did Mickey not say? It's really a no-win situation, but he has to really be cognizant about his words and how it starts and how it creates headlines and, and how misinformation is out there. I mean, pretty much everybody had DeGrom scheduled for surgery by that point. And some of that is just the paranoia of the Mets fans. But a lot of that has to do with the way it was positioned. Well, his elbow's barking. It's time to send him back to New York for an MRI. And it looks like now that he'll probably be back on Friday and pitching against Milwaukee and, and all will be well. And what it really appears is that because of the sickness, the strep throat, he got off his routine, and that's really been able to put him behind and, and, and make him not be Jacob DeGrom the last two starts. I mean, he wasn't great in Atlanta, but he wasn't horrible. So, lesson be learned, Mickey Calloway has to start to smarten up a little bit how he speaks to the media. You have to use the media as a tool. One thing Terry Collins did well is he was able to really gather, and I think a lot of it was the sympathy vote because he positioned himself as the uh, the old baseball lifer that is the dinosaur, and he was able to feed information to certain media people so that they felt comfortable 
with the relationship. And ultimately, if you're a reporter and you feel comfortable with the relationship with the manager, there's a very small chance that you're ever going to go after that manager and really hold him accountable. And they never really did that with Terry Collins. They never held him accountable for the whole time he was there. And I feel Mickey Calloway gets raked over the coals, which we'll get to in a minute. But he deserved this one. You know, his communication on the DeGrom situation was very poor. And I blame him. And I blame his uh, starting of this with that comment, that audio that you heard just before the segment, as the reason why what really is a concerning but not overly problematic scenario being blown up and being basically the story of the weekend. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Mickey Calloway and how he handles Edwin Diaz and got a little testy with the reporters in Philadelphia earlier this week. I have some thoughts on the bullpen again. We'll be back with more Talking Mets podcast right after this. This year is different. We have different personnel, mm-hmm. and you have to adjust. When I mean, you have different players. You have to adjust what you want to do with those players. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, Diaz is going to get three outs um, on any given night, and uh, hopefully it's for a save. You want to use them for more than three? It's just something we don't feel like uh, we need to do at this point. You know, when we get to the playoffs, he'll be available for more than three outs. But we have faith in our other guys, and they got to get in there and, and get the job done. And if they don't, we might lose a game. But, hey, that's the reality of the situation. We have faith in them, and they're going to go out there and step it up like they did tonight. You know, I told them when I, got, when I came here, um, you know, I want to come here to win. You know, I, I would be ready every time. In, the, in any, any situation to, to pitch, so you know they are they are the coaches, so I have to be ready when they need me. Our goal is to put all the players in the best position to succeed, and uh, Diaz showed last year that when pitching in that role and pitching with that uh, with that type of workload, he had tremendous success. And it's part of our win now and win in the future model that we want this guy to be at his best, not only this year every time out, but also in October and then as we uh, as we go into the years years in the future. So as we as we manage his workload early in the year, that's uh, that's going to be how we how we put uh, put all of us in a position to succeed. You heard Mickey Calloway and you heard Brody Van Wagner about Edwin Diaz in the clip leading into uh, this segment. And it's interesting because last year when Calloway came over, he was very much in the camp where you have to use your pitcher in the highest leverage situation. And he talked about maybe bringing the closer, which at the time was familiar in the eighth inning or the seventh inning, if it was warranted, if the situation was the big hitters were up and, and they were in trouble. And and that's a bit of a new age thinking. And for the longest time, I've been a proponent of roles in the bullpen. And I've evolved over the years. I used to think guy needs a seventh inning role, guy needs his eighth inning role, guy needs to know he's the closer. Because when you come to the ballpark and you're not the starting pitcher, um, bullpen guys, even like pinch hitters, pinch hitters and guys who are good pinch hitters have to have a routine to figure out, okay, how can I start getting ready so that I can be in the best possible position to be successful? So in the first, second inning, a top pinch hitter is not going to necessarily start to get ready because it's going to be the sixth inning on usually, or maybe the fifth, depending on the game and the situation, where they're going to be needed. So they really have to read the game, but you have an idea of how much time you have before you need to start preparing. With a reliever, same situation. If you know you're the seventh inning guy or the eighth inning guy, well, it's easy. You know when to start preparing because you just look up at the scoreboard and you see how the game transpires. And if you're ahead, all right, it's the sixth inning. We're ahead. I better start getting ready. I better start getting mentally ready. I better start getting into my routine. 
I think that rigidity, if that's the right word, how rigid that some of that thinking was, and I was part of that, may not necessarily be the right thing or thing either. I think relievers today, uh, I think the thought is that you need to be able to know that you're what part of the game you're going to be in. For example, I think we all know that right now, if the Mets are ahead, it looks like it's going to be Lugo, Familia, and then the closer. And I think Lugo gets the first man up in the sixth or seventh inning. I think Familia is your guy that's going to come in in the seventh or eighth inning. And I saw that Callaway moved him up a little bit in St. Louis on Friday. And I wonder if part of that was because he was struggling or because, uh, you know, they were they you know they were looking to get multiple innings out of him. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the thinking was there. Um, but at the end, it's important for especially the closer to know. Okay, this is when I'm going to come in. You don't want to start just yo-yoing the closer, bringing him in the seventh inning, what have you. In a real in an ideal world, the Mets would be able to go to Edwin Diaz throughout this season in big spots in the eighth inning. You don't want to go too early to your closer consistently. Joe Torre used to say, you know, I don't want to go to Mariano two innings too early in the season. But as it got later in the season, maybe in big games throughout the season, i.e. Subway Series, Red Sox, especially late in the year as you got into the postseason, he was the he was the eighth inning, ninth inning guy. But it built up to that. So I'm not going crazy about the Edwin Dean three out situation that Callaway's talking about because I don't believe that as the season goes on and there are big games in September or maybe even August or maybe even sooner that if they really need Diaz and they could use a statement game whether it to be put the nail down on a series or to stop a little losing streak I think they're going to bring him out a little earlier than you think and I think they're going to spot him on that I just think that in Philadelphia on a cold April night in the eighth inning in a game that sure would have, and they wound up winning, that would have been nice to win. I don't think it was the time. I mean, we're treating, and we do this every year, baseball fans spend all winter watching football and, and the NBA or whatever you do, college basketball, and then they take that football mindset the first three weeks of the baseball season, and guess what? 21 games in, there's 139 more games to go, or 300, excuse me, 141 more games to go. Plenty of baseball left, whether the Mets were you know, 19 and 2 or what they are now, 11 and 10. You have to pace yourself. This is a marathon. And just like a good marathon runner paces themselves, the Mets are going to have to pace their bullpen. So I really don't have any issues with Mickey and his thought process. I know the media grilled him a lot in Philadelphia after the game to the point where I could tell he was annoyed and he was like, well, let me explain baseball to you, which that was a the first hint that he was getting annoyed. And uh, like I said earlier in the program, Callaway's got to learn how to handle these guys. These guys are looking for stories. These guys are looking for reasons to show that he's incompetent. I'm not sure if it's because of who he is or how he's treating them. I think it's more that it's the thing that really makes the headline. And I think a lot of writers and a lot of people like myself like to play manager, whether it be our, you know, their fantasy baseball background or whatever. We all could be stratomatic managers from our couches. Uh, but the way that Callaway spoke about Diaz and only getting three outs, only being the closer, I have zero problem with it. Uh, I don't think, and the reason I have zero problem with it, because I don't think that's going to be the case when it really comes down to it. I think there's going to be a lot more Diaz use later in the year. They're just going to make sure that they monitor it 
and that it's not something that is uh, an abuse situation where you don't want the guy losing gas in late June, early July because you went all out to win the first half, let's say. There's a lot of baseball left to play. So have no problem with Mickey's comments. I know they spurred a little bit of a debate. Take a step back. It's the right thing to do. I'm not crazy about some of his bullpen moves because I think he's still trying to find out the nuances of of his bullpen. Uh, but if Emilio starts pitching well and slides in that eighth inning, it's going to be a heck of a lot easier to figure out Lugo Gazelman, Justin Wilson, and all the other guys as time goes on. All right, let's take a quick break. Final thoughts. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. All right, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this uh, short edition of the Talking Mets podcast. I want to thank all the good folks over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silver Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm yours, Mike Silva. Happy Easter. Happy Passover. Enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend. We'll be back with more Talking Mets podcast next week. Take care, everybody. credit card bill.